0: Good afternoon and thanks for joining us today. It is April 19th, 2021. I hope you had a great weekend. It was unseasonably cool here, uh, although it was nice and sunny, so it was a great weekend. I hope you had a great weekend. Uh, Thanks for joining us. And today we are talking about employee status uh, in New York workers' compensation claims. Hi, I'm Greg Lois, I'm the managing partner of Lois Law Firm, and today uh, we're going to talk about exactly who is an employee, who's not an employee, how do you raise those defenses, when you should raise those defenses, Uh, and I'm going to give you a little benefit of some recent case law that we've actually developed on behalf of one of our employers uh, who has employees in the gig economy. So uh, let's dive in. Uh, This is totally live, uh, so I hope you're uh, joining us. If you're joining us for the first time, please know. Uh, you can ask questions during this webinar. It makes it a lot more fun when I get questions. I can see them popping up. And at the end of the webinar, I will answer as many questions as I can, uh, time permitting, of course. I will only say your first name. I will then read your questions so that everybody can hear the question that's being read. Uh, and then I will answer it to the best of my ability. And this is our second session of this webinar today. We've split this group into uh, two times during the day to make it uh, easier for people to attend. First session, I mean, no pressure, second session, but first session had a lot of great questions. And in fact, one of the questions stumped me. And then one of our participants actually gave me the answer in the uh, in the uh, the comments, and I was able to actually read that for everyone. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm hoping for some good questions during this presentation, and uh, we'll do our best to answer as many as we can. So uh, thanks for joining us. Um, hopefully everyone out there has already got a copy of our 2021 New York handbook. And, you know, for 2021, we did a lot of revisions. I got to be frank with you. uh, The board's changing a lot of stuff. And we're already looking at 2022 edition, because we're going to need to add things in, in including stuff about the new medical portal that's going to be out shortly. Um, Obviously, I'm you the front, Uh, the new medical portal, um, the board also didn't release or didn't um, Implement the new medical treatment guidelines, which were going to take effect on January 1, 2021. So they're actually in the handbook, uh, and we're just waiting for those to be fully implemented and um, uh, available to us. But if you're following along at home and you have a handbook, you know that we're basically, as we go through these monthly webinars, we're covering all the topics in the handbook. And then as things change, I adjust and adapt into these uh, presentations. But to make this as useful as possible, I'm gonna be telling you anything new, anything changed. And then I'm gonna be looking to your questions to think about future topics for us to discuss. So I hope everyone there has a copy of our 2021 handbook. Please know we also have a handbook for New Jersey workers' compensation. Uh, we have a handbook for construction defense, focusing on New York workers' compensation uh, interplay with general liability defense in New York construction accidents. And we have a longshore handbook because we also defend longshore claims here. So uh, if you don't have a copy, you can go to our website, loisllc.com slash publications, and you can instantly download a copy of those handbooks today. If you've got a big group or maybe you need some people on your team that need a refresher or need their own copy, we're very happy to mail them out to them as well. All right. Uh, just a brief word uh our, this is the third monday of the month uh and that means we're covering new york workers compensation but remember we have a construction defense webinar which is led by my partner Toshia Razul. the first monday of the month the second monday of the month we have a risk transfer webinar which is uh, led by the uh, chris major from this firm i lead the new york workers compensation uh webinar series on the third monday of the month And the fourth Monday of the month, uh, we cover New Jersey workers' compensation topics. And there are a couple months in the year where there are five Mondays. Uh, Greg, what do you do on that fifth Monday? And the answer is, I go on vacation that fifth week of the month. Uh, So so don't call me, I'm away. All right, Uh, that's our monthly schedule. Uh, Let's dive into today's topic. And again, at any time during this conversation, you could be typing in your questions and I'll answer as many as I can at the end. All right. Who is an employee? Well, our lovely legislature in 1911 defined who an employee is, and they actually went through, because uh, back then they were trying to be very positivist in the law, and they listed every single type of covered employment. Uh, Obviously, they couldn't predict all the different types of employments and occupations that we have today. They didn't really imagine any of this stuff. And so utilizing that uh, statutory definition is really not so useful anymore. And instead, we're now using a broader definition of employee who is an employee. And it's really coming from case law and practice. Uh, The case law and practice is essentially defining employees, anyone who provides uh, service uh, to another, to a not-for-profit business for a wage. And uh, wages are proven by some type of Uh, payroll, a pay stub, a a cash check, uh, really any way that we can demonstrate uh, a wage or a pay stub. So that's the definition today. And that definition has really been changed over the years to include all sorts of occupations, all sorts of job titles, which were not initially envisioned by the workers uh, compensation law. And again, uh, that's just because of usage and uh, we've needed to. Now, Uh, you'll also, when you read my book, particularly, and if you look at case law on this, you'll see lots of case law decisions on what's called illegal employment in New York. And illegal employment doesn't really mean the same thing we mean about when we're talking about it in a sort of colloquial sense. We say, oh, that guy's an illegal or that they, they've got illegals working on that job site. You know, really, when we're talking about that, we're, people, we're talking about people who maybe don't have any work documentation in this country. They don't have any uh, legal residence status in this country. They're, they're, uh, they're not eligible for work. That's really not what illegal employment means in the workers' compensation statute. In the workers' compensation statute, illegal employment really refers to work done by minors, Uh, who don't have appropriate working papers. So you'll see uh, discussions of illegal employments and discussions of uh, penalties for employers for illegal employments. And they're really talking about the hiring uh, and injuries to minors. And that's not really something that happens that much anymore, not that um, important in terms of uh, from a defense perspective but the type of uh, illegal employment that we're often talking about, or we're we're saying someone doesn't have working papers, they don't have any documentation. You know, in my office, we call them pre-citizens. They have every right to workers' compensation benefits uh, that any other employee would have under our workers' compensation statute. I also want to remark that the workers' compensation law in New York Uh, considers anybody who's injured while working to be an employee uh, for the purpose of the workers compensation law in New York, which means uh, if you have an employee who's hired from another state resides in another state maybe does most of their work in another state but they come into new york just for a work purpose they're traveling through new york they're just even traveling through no contact with new york really except for the accident takes place in new york they will fall under the workers compensation statute in new york and those injuries uh, would be compensable or benefits would be provided to them pursuant to the new york law all right so Basically, anybody who's working for a for-profit business uh, and who's getting a wage and providing a service is going to be considered an employee. So that's a pretty broad, pretty general description of almost everyone's going to fit under that. So let's really talk about the edge cases, the people who are not going to fall under that. So who is not our employee? Well, uh, the statute is pretty clear uh, about certain classes of employees or people that are not going to count as employees. One of them is student interns. I know that seems a little bit shocking but it's specifically excluded another one is volunteers volunteers are specifically excluded from benefits under the workers compensation law and i've got a fun case for us to talk about uh next about that um sole proprietors so those would be the owners of a business who have exempted themselves from workers compensation coverage they are not going to be considered an employee and that's the reason they can exempt themselves from workers top coverage Uh, Next, independent contractors. All right, so this is fun, and I'm gonna do a whole slide on what is and what is not an independent contractor, and I'm also gonna talk about that in the context of gig economy workers or those people who are working uh, through assignments that they're getting from an app. Think about food delivery people or ride-sharing type of employments. Uh, Finally, employees, truckers in general, we're gonna look at them very carefully. Uh, We're generally going to analyze Uh, truckers or over the road drivers uh, as independent contractors but they also, in addition to having to satisfy all of the requirements of proving they're an independent contractor in general, we're also gonna to need to have to show that they have their own bill of lading, so they're operating under their own authority, and that they have their own Department of Transportation number. So that's a second sort of uh, set of factors that we're gonna consider when we're looking at whether an over-the-road driver or trucker uh, is going to be considered an employee for the state of New York's workers' compensation purposes. All right, first reminder, this is a live webinar. Please ask questions. It makes it so much more fun. All right. Let's talk about a really interesting edge case that just happened on volunteer status. It the uh, case that was decided in 2019 is called Morrow versus Red Cross. And this really kind of uh, helps illustrate who is and who is not an employee and how bright line we're going to interpret our workers' compensation law in New York. So uh, this employee uh, was uh, worked for a, a restoration company, it worked for, I think it was some kind of general contracted company that primarily did restoration work. And this company was really nice and really good people. And they said, hey, employees, If you want to volunteer for the Red Cross, uh, we will uh, allow you to work for the Red Cross in a volunteer capacity uh, during a regular workday. And uh, we're not going to uh, hit you for PTO time or vacation time. We'll count that as workday and we're going to pay you for it. So here's an employer. Maybe they had a, a specialty in um, maybe disaster recovery or some type of restoration or improvements. Uh, and they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to let our employees lend that experience or lend that talent to the American Red Cross you know, when it's needed. And so Maura took advantage of it, uh, and she got a position with the Red Cross on a volunteer basis as a voluntary community ambassador. Uh, which sounds interesting i mean i've always wanted to be an ambassador only because you get really cool free parking in new york and those cool plates that allow you i think to do anything you want but anyway uh so that was her position volunteer community ambassador and of course uh the employer is paying her her regular wage while she's doing this uh work for the red cross uh, again it's volunteer work for the red cross and she of course injured herself while working for the red cross and brought a workers' compensation claim against the Red Cross. I think she knew she couldn't bring it against her own employer, even though they were paying her, and instead she brought it against the Red Cross. And the question is whether or not this was compensable. Really, uh, can she bring this claim against the Red Cross? And the interesting thing here is, yes, she's working for them in a voluntary capacity, but someone's paying for her to work for them in a voluntary capacity. So doesn't that sort of uh, straddle, very interestingly, those requirements? Uh, you're providing service. Yes, she was doing that uh, to a for-profit entity. Nope, Red Cross isn't a for-profit and getting paid a wage. And she was. So she met two of the three items. Well, the board panel and then the appellate division agreed, no, uh, you're a volunteer and you're not entitled to workers' compensation benefits. Not a whole lot of cases in New York on volunteers. And that's one of the more interesting ones. So uh, volunteers, even if paid, uh, are unlikely to be found an employee in the state of New York. All right, let's talk a little bit about dual employment, and this happens in many, many contexts. Uh, New York does recognize that someone can have two employers at the same time. I mean, certainly uh, leased or lent employees, I'm thinking about PEO um, this type of relationships uh, where Uh, And this is not just pure employee leasing, but this would be where an employer goes into a PEO relationship or contract in order to provide benefits, payroll, uh, maybe workers' compensation insurance for its employees and doesn't want to really administer that or do the HR functions, and they're utilizing a PEO to do that. Or, of course, the pure least employee, the staffing agency or the staff employer who is actually going out, recruiting, hiring, paying, uh, administering benefits, doing all the human resources administration work, but then actually placing that worker in someone else's business again. In those circumstances, the uh, Workers' Compensation Board will recognize that they have maybe perhaps two employers, one they actually work for, one that they actually directs and controls their day, and one who's actually paying them their wage uh, and actually administering their human resources. And the answer is both of them can be deemed the employer for the purpose of being responsible for workers' compensation coverage. However, in general, in these types of relationships, we will see uh, that the company that is um, leasing or, or borrowing the employer or using that staff agency will have a contract with the staffing company, which will say, hey, if somebody gets injured on our workplace, you understand that it's your workers' comp coverage that will be primary and that will be covering this loss. All right, next. What about contractors and subcontractors? And the answer is, this is a very common situation where Uh, there's a contractor uh, performing services on a job site, and they've got a subcontractor and a subcontractor and a sub and a sub and a sub and the answer is, who works for who and who is the, the actual employer here? And the answer is, of course, If the subcontractor does not have workers' compensation coverage, then that exposure can travel up the chain all the way to the general contractor. And so, uh, you know, we in those circumstances, you can be deemed to have more than one employer for workers' comp purposes. And really, it's because the sub, sub, sub of the sub didn't get coverage. It will continue to travel up that contractual train for liability and exposure. The question in these types of uh, situations where dual employment is being alleged or it is a Potential defense is who is directing and controlling that employer. Uh, so it's not just the wage payer or the person whose name shows up on the check. It could also be the person who directs and controls their job. All right. I think that's a good segue into talking about independent contractors. And, you know, we often say independent contractors are kind of like unicorns. Everybody knows what a unicorn looks like. No one's ever seen one. In this jurisdiction, it's very difficult. And I'm talking about the New York Workers' Compensation Courts to prove that someone's actually an independent contractor because uh, we have to show a number of things and jump through a number of hoops in order to make that uh, defense stick. So this, the way we would raise this defense is uh, when the claimant files their workers' compensation claim, we would advise our client, look, it doesn't look like this is your employee. It looks like this is an independent contractor. Maybe this is someone who's just providing services. Maybe this is someone who has nothing to do with your business whatsoever, and they've just named you. Uh, You should raise the defense that they are not your employee. You would raise that by way of filing your first report of injury, dash 04, that's denial type, and indicating that there is a lack of an employment relationship as your defense. Okay, this is a pure legal defense, but it will rely on certain facts that we have to prove. Those facts include, one, the alleged employer is going to have to say that I have no right to direct and control this employee. I didn't hire them. I can't fire them. They go about their day without me interfering or directing them. Uh, It's not enough that they're on my work site. It's not enough that uh, they're inside my location or my facility. I actually have to direct and control them and not just the manner of their work. Okay? It's also the particulars of their work. Um, So uh, their business should be different from that of the alleged employer. A great example is Lois Law Firm uh, uh, using an outside vendor, for example, to provide snow removal services in the winter. Uh, The snow removal uh, company, uh, someone sustains an injury working for them, Uh, I'm gonna say, no, you're an independent contractor. That snow removal is not part of Lois Law Firm's core competency. That's not something we do. It's something we hold ourselves out as offering. That's something that I've contracted with you to do. Uh, And I think it'd be pretty clear that that's not my core business. Um, Although I am pretty handy with a shovel. Anyway, how about uh, they are a completely different business entity? Now the courts are going to be a little skeptical of this one, particularly uh, in situations where they where an employer has maybe simply outsourced one of its roles or functions to one of its own employees, and then said, okay, now you're your own business. But well, we are going to be looking for things like, do they have their own business card? Do they have their own advertising? Do they have their own business registration? Are they paying taxes as a business somewhere else? So we're going to be looking uh, to sort of those indicia of being a legitimate outside business. Next, can the person who's alleging injury, do they have the right to control their own work and the nature of their work? So this is just the manner of how they conduct themselves on our property, but also are they bringing their own tools? Are they bringing their own specialties? Are they bringing their own materials? Uh, are they wearing a different uniform? Are they, how are they carrying out this activity on a daily basis? And if it's not directly controlled and supervised, and then if we're not providing them the tools and materials, it's going to be more likely that they'll be found to be an independent contractor. All right. Uh, The last one is important uh, in that we can show that this other entity, that's the alleged employer, has its own workers' compensation insurance. Uh, That's also going to be useful for the judge of compensation in upholding or, or um, uh, sustaining our denial that, yeah, uh, there's someplace else for this person to go get recourse against because, you know, judges are human too, and they want to make sure that everybody gets covered for workers' compensation purposes. And so for that reason, if we're able to point to the other entity, which is actually, um, you know, controlling and directing their work and has its own comp coverage, that's going to be really useful for us in order to prevail in that defense. All right. Uh, that's a little bit about the basics of uh, who's my employee and who's not my employee, uh, we're gonna jump into questions now and I hope we have some exciting questions to answer for you. Uh, it's gonna be tough because this morning uh, session had lots of great ones. All right, I see one here from Todd. All right, could claimant have claimed concurrent employment and receive benefits that would have amounted to what she would have made at a regular job? All right, great question. So concurrent employment can happen, right? We can have an employee, who works for us on a part-time basis and works somewhere else on a part-time basis. We would would say that those are concurrent employments. Uh, When the employee is losing time from both of those employments due to their workers' compensation-related injury, we would add up both of those employments income, the wages that they're earning from both, and use that to derive the average weekly wage. So that's the point of concurrency. We'd be saying, look, they made $100 a week working for us. They made $100 a week working for employer B. They're losing time from both employments. And for that reason, we're going to add up um, both wages. And then they're going to be due their statutory temporary disability benefits, their wage replacement for that. Now for $200 uh, a week, that's a kind of a bad example, because they're entitled to then the statutory minimum, which is $150 a week. And again, that would be more than they're earning at either one of those alleged concurrent employments. Uh, So in that uh, example, uh, yes, they could be getting more uh, in wage replacement uh, due to both employments being used to calculate the wage replacement factor, uh, even though uh, that makes that would entitle them to more money per week than they were Uh, actually earning at either one of those two employments. Now, it's a bad example because, again, New York's got a statutory uh, minimum rate of $150 a week, so I should have maybe made those numbers a little higher, but it does demonstrate to you that if you are losing time from both employments, we are gonna add up the um, wages from both employments to get to that average weekly wage. And yeah, it's possible for that to yield a higher uh, per week payment than they were actually making uh, from either one of those employments alone. Okay, so that is possible. Um, Now, the fact that that equals to more than they were earning at the one job, yeah, that's possible, but it's also fair, Uh, and it's fair for the employee who's losing from both jobs. The key to a concurrent employment wage claim in New York, really, is making sure that they're actually losing time from both jobs. You know, if they're working for me in a very strenuous capacity that requires them to bend and lift and move, uh, and in the other jobs, a more sedentary job, and they can still do that job, uh, then they wouldn't be entitled to that wage uh concurrency or that wage addition uh which would then entitle them to more money all right that was a good question todd and so far that's the only question so i'm hoping uh maybe people are still typing in their questions please i'm hoping Uh, it does make it a lot more fun when you're um asking questions but uh maybe this is just uh, a pretty a topic that everybody's got it's a pretty straightforward topic i got some fun questions this morning involving wage replacement benefits and are the people working on parole and picking up trash on the side of the highway, employees. So those were some fun ones. All right. Uh, Thanks for joining us on this uh, webinar today. I'm glad that uh, we got a chance to have a chat. Uh, Next month, May 17th, is our next New York Workers' Compensation uh, webinar. It's going to be on May 17th, and we're going to be talking about construction cases in New York. I'm still looking down to see if any more questions are popping up, and it doesn't look like it. All right. I hope to see everybody on May 17th. Thanks for dropping in. See you soon.